You have just entered the Rocket Metal Combat Podcast with Ralph Vieira, also known as Dr. Fuck, Ian Wiley, the Ayatollah of Alcohola, and Terrence Reedon, the Rock Sponge. Now spread those ear holes and let them turn your brain to mush. This is the Rocket Metal Combat Podcast. Hey everybody, it's me, Dr. Fuck, uh, Ralph Vieira from Thrash or Die with another mind-boggling uh, episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, and uh, this week we're going to talk about the Metal Gods. And uh, speaking of Metal Gods, I got here with me, uh, Terrence and Ian, how you guys doing? Doing swell, thank you very much. I'm pretty fucked up, I'm ready to go. We're going to talk about the classic Sin After Sin this week. And the only two albums I like more than this album are from the 70s as well. Uh, which means Stained Class, my favorite, Sad Wings of Destiny, and then this one. The show at the end, uh, talking about you know what we think of Jesus Christ as a whole, like we usually do. But uh, we usually start the show with uh, how we discovered Jesus Priest and how I discovered him. My first... Uh, my first memory of Judas Priest was actually a poster I saw at a store down here called Barefoot Mailman. And in the back of the store, they had a lot of posters, and they had a Judas Priest poster where they were all on motorcycles, which I had never seen that picture or poster ever again from then. But I always thought that was, man, that's a cool visual. And then my big brother owned uh, Unleashed in the East, in 1979, and that was my first taste of Judas Priest, and it totally blew my fucking mind. I remember uh, getting that that uh, album when he wasn't around, and I took it in my room and made a cassette copy of it, and then put the album back carefully so you didn't notice I took it. Because my brother was a douchebag. I love him now, but back then, he sucked. And, um, and he doesn't like metal now, so I guess he still sucks. So... Um, yeah, my love for Judas Priest started right there. Unleashed in the East, wore it out. Then uh, the next thing I bought from Judas Priest was British Steel when it first came out. I walked almost four to five miles to get this album. When I got there, I bought it, and on my walk home, which took like an hour, all I did was look at the back of the album, and I saw Breaking the Law, Metal Guys, Grinder, Steeler, you know, the rage. I'm looking at this album just thinking to myself, I can't wait to go home and listen to this. It sounds so fucking metal, you know. That's when I really became an official metalhead. Judas Priest really did. Sabbath too, but, you know, I have a saying. My saying is Black Sabbath invented heavy metal. Judas Priest perfected it. Black Sabbath dabbled in blues and all that, but Judas Priest was pretty much, I mean, Unleashed in the East is, heavy metal 24-7. It's like they don't let up. And they were also, and still, the band that's proud to pronounce, we are a fucking metal band where even my gods, Black Sabbath, don't like to be called metal. Judas Priest is proud of the tag, and uh, that's why I adore this fucking band. Judas Priest are gods. And uh, I'll talk about the rest of the Judas Priest stuff uh, later on, but, you know, this is all about sin after sin. But I'm going to let you guys talk about your discovery of Judas Priest and uh, and your love for it. So go ahead, guys. Okay. Judas Priest I first discovered 
in 84 when MTV played the video for Three Wheel Burn, and that ju video just blew my mind, and I was like, this is an effing cool video. Although I did hear you've got another thing coming a couple of years prior to that, and I've seen videos for heading out to the highway and things. And around the time of Turbo, or towards the end of 86, beginning of 87, my sister's, one of my sister's exes gave me his cassette copy of Screaming for Vengeance. And to me, that was like the perfect way to get into the world of Judas Priest. And it's still my favorite 1980s Priest album. I Hokey as it sounds, but such is life. Um, and then I kind of got distracted by other bands and then properly got back into Priest around the 90s when the Metal Works compilation came out and then bought all the albums except for the Ripper Owen store stuff, which is another story for another day. And then eventually got back into Priest once and for all for keeps in 2004 when I, my buddy Dennis showed me the Metallurgy box set and I'm like, I gotta get me that. So I got it that Christmas of 2004 along with upgrades of British Steel, Point of Entry and Screaming for Vengeance and then went off and bought every last Judas Priest album except for the Ripper Owens albums, which I don't count, but bought every Priest album, every Rob Halford solo album except for two, which I don't like either, but that's just me. Seen them twice, even met them on Rockline in June 2005, the night after I saw them. My first introduction to Judas Priest was uh, their drummer Dave Holland was my drum teacher. So that, that was that was actually a really bad introduction. So uh, I didn't listen to a couple of you. I was like, ouch, this hurts. Yeah, uh, well, at least you were lucky enough not to be confined to a wheelchair. Uh, well, could, well, yeah. You, you yeah, but away. I was, but with rope. Um, but, uh, anyway, probably first acknowledgement, uh, my dad was a huge fan of, you got another thing coming, loved the video. Uh, he liked it, but it really wasn't what I was listening to at the time. Uh, when I really got into him, believe it or not, was, uh, an episode of Headbangers Ball. When Headbangers Ball used to be a half hour show during the day, uh, D Snyder was hosting it, but this day it was Adam Curry, or no, no, I take that back. Alan was it Alan Hunter? Oh, you're yeah. talking about you're talking about the metal shop. It, it might have been yeah. actually. I think it might have been like Mark Hunter or somebody. But anyway, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. he did. He, he's he's like, well, he goes, you know, it wouldn't be this, you know, without some Judas Priest. And he showed the video for Parental Guidance. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I I like I like the song. And I went out. I remember I went to a store called Hornsby's. And I bought uh, Dio's Sacred Heart. I should say it was bought for me. Uh, Dio's Sacred Heart and Judas Priest Turbo. Oh. And that, yeah, I know, well, oh my God. yeah, well, you know, you got to think that I was 12 years old. You know, you got to consider the time. But I loved both albums then. Oh. In, in hindsight, not my most favorite albums by any stretch of imagination. But uh, became a huge fan of Judas Priest. Bought everything they did. Uh Sin After Sin was the second of the 70s era Judas Priest that I got into. The first one was Unleashing the East. I used to have a uh, paper route. I would deliver early in the mornings and listen to Unleashing the East over and over again. And then I was like, well, let me check out some of the older stuff. So I bought Sin After Sin was the first of the 70s Judas Priest that I bought. And uh, back then it was all cassettes. And uh, I only listened to the first half because the first half of it Side one, I should say, grabbed me right off the bat. I was like, wow, I like all these. Flipped it over. The second half didn't grab me as much. 
So I just always listened to the first half of it on cassette and didn't get into the second half till much later. But uh, have always been, you know, since Parental Guidance, a lifelong Judas Priest fan. I forgot to interject. Sin After Sin, I did not own in any way, shape, or form until 2009 on CD because I had the box sets of um, Metallogy, which had three half, all over half of the album. So then when I finally bought the CD, I was like, sheesh, this is a pretty kick-ass album. And look who produced it, Roger Glover of Deep Purple. And it was also their first album for a major label being Columbia Records here in the States, CBS outside the States. Sadly, it didn't sell, but a tour with Ario Speedwagon did help Judas Priest get their name recognized in the good old United States. Wow. Can you imagine, man? I would have loved to have seen that tour. Priest and Ario, and Ario was a hard rock band. And then yeah. they, they also opened up on that same, that same year. They opened up for Ario, then they opened up for Foreigner, and they also opened up two shows for Led Zeppelin in California on Led Zeppelin's Presence Tour. And they opened up for Led Zeppelin in Germany, which was the show I almost saw. And my brother took a picture, which, man, I wish I could find it because I have a scanner and everything. I do own that picture of an outdoor show. And, and all you can really tell is kind of far. You can tell it's Rob Albert up front. Yes, uh, it is true. Uh, Judas Priest did open for uh, Led Zeppelin um, in, in some European shows, too. And uh, Kiss during the Dynasty era. I guess that was Hellbent for Leather, maybe? Unleashed in the East was about to be released. Okay, but it was still technically Hellbent for Leather, so... Yes. Um, yeah, that, that must have been mind-blowing, too, to open for Kiss, you know? Uh, okay, let's, so let's start off this album, and before I start off, I just want to say that, as I said earlier, Unleashed in the East was my very first taste of Judas Priest, that when I did go back and listen to the... 70s albums of the original versions of the these songs that are on Unleashed in the East, I was pretty disappointed at first because they were so slow. And, you know, and I think uh, the first album I, I owned after, the first 70s album I owned was Sad Wings of Destiny, and uh, which I think is a monster album. But back then, you know, The Ripper and Genocide Tyrant and Victim of Change, it just sounded so damn slow. And it was, I didn't dig it at first, you know, but now I do. Now I, now that I'm older and wiser, uh, I love the hell out of it. But I also got to throw Sinner in that category too, because Sinner is much faster. So the first time I heard Sinner on Sin After Sin, I got the same reaction. It was like, oh, I like the uh, Unleashed Needs version better, which I still do of all the original stuff. But, you know, I do uh, dig, um, uh, this version now, I think it's it's the showcase of K.K. Downing. The very first time I saw Judas Priest was on the Screamer for Vengeance tour where this song was played. I actually seen them play this song twice because then they, they brought it back on the Ram It Down tour, which they didn't play it on Defenders or Turbo. And uh, to me, it's a highlight because... Glenn Tipton may be technically a better guitar player than K.K. Downing. I always liked K.K.'s style much better. It's much dirtier with the whammy bar. And I don't know. It's just something that his attitude. And, you know, I, I see, I see uh, you know, Glenn Tipton is perfect and everything, but uh, K.K. is more loose and, and uh, has better stage presence. I just love K.K. Downing. And this is his showcase song, <clears throat> Sinner, Fucking Rules. Great song. What do you guys think of Sinner? 
Sinner, the opening salvo on Sin After Sin. I concur with Ralph. I like the studio version. And uh, the drums on this and the whole Sin After Sin album was done by Simon Phillips, who had done session work with Jeff Beck, um, Pete Townsend, Mike Rutherford of Genesis, toured with The Who in 1989. So his drumming is very in the pocket on this album. And um, Sinner... Ralph said it best, you know. It is K.K. Downing's masterpiece. My favorite version of Sinner actually has to be from the Screaming for Vengeance Tour 1982, if you have that DVD as part of your Metallogy box set, or the Live Vengeance 82 DVD separately. To me, you, that's the definitive live version, with um, K.K. going haywire on that Fender Stratocaster. And, uh, if you people haven't seen that particular version of Sinner, I urge you to watch it. And listen to it because to me, that's the definitive version of Sinner. I apologize to the uh, Unleashed in the East version, which is in second place by just a miller hair. I also want to add uh, that when I did see this live, um, Hofford, I mean, another highlight of that song is Hofford, obviously. I mean, the way he screams, and my, I mean, during that show, I was all the way up front on KK Downing's side that when Hofford would scream, I shit you not, the fucking amps would, like, tremble. They physically moved a little bit with his screams. That's how badass he was in Sinner. I remember during Sinner that uh, the, it was just, I see these big amps trembling because I was right next to it every time he was hitting those high notes. It was just, the guy was just beyond amazing. The
I love Sinner. I think it's totally classic Judas Priest. I agree with Terrence. When I think of Sinner, though, I think of that 82 Memphis concert. Uh, KK hitting the fucking whammy bar, just going off. Uh, the drumming of Simon Phillips, which, uh, you know, Simon Phillips came in while they were recording the album because they fired their drummer just because he couldn't handle the metal. I mean, he just wasn't, uh, you know, that proficient. And it's and it's funny because they go from Simon Phillips to later they got uh, John, uh, I'm sorry, Les Binks, who is, a uh, besides Scott Travis, is probably my favorite uh, Judas Priest drummer. Amen. And, uh, and, and they hired him because he could repeat the double bass that Simon Phillips did. And Simon Phillips was 19 at the time of this recording, too. Um, it's it's just a classic track. Uh, should be on every tour set list, in my opinion. This is it, it's just quintessential Judas Priest. It has every element, uh, vocal-wise and music-wise, uh, that represents heavy metal to me. And I also used to have this saying that, you know, Black Sabbath invented heavy metal. Judas Priest perfected it. But then this guy, Ralph, fucking stole the quote. Yeah. Try Tried to pretend like it was his, uh, you know, but but I made peace with that. You know, so, it's, uh, it's, it's funny you say that because I've been saying that for so many years. And then one day, uh, I don't remember that guy's name. He was like this bald guy from MTV, not Matt Penfield, but the younger one. And they had a Metallica special and he was like, Black Sabbath invented heavy metal, Metallica perfected. I did a double take. I was like, did that guy hear me say Judas Priest one day somewhere? That's fucked up. He stole that shit from me. And I'm sorry, Metallica is not metal. I mean, they were, but not during that time. They weren't metal anymore. This was like during the load era. But Diamonds and rust. As Rob Halford announced it on the Live Vengeance performance from Memphis in 82, this is a retake of a Joan Baez folk song, which Priest, of course, just upped the ante and put on steroids. And just a killer cover of the song. As a matter of fact, um... When Priest did it live on the Angel of Retribution tour, they changed the arrangement to be more of a partially acoustic slow and things, and then rock out at the end. But um, my favorite version has to be um, the studio version is my third favorite version. My first favorite is um, Vengeance 82. Second is Unleashed in the East. Third is the studio version. And I haven't heard, and then the the Rising in the East from 2005 is my fourth favorite. Because to me, the faster-paced version of Diamonds and Rush just kicks so much ass. And, you know, like can I say, Priest did the old philosophy, if you're going to cover a tune, make sure you put your own stamp on it and kick some fucking ass. And on um, Diamonds and Rust, they sure as hell did. Uh, Ralph, off to you. Okay, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, Terrence, but they... They started doing that acoustic version Priest with Ripper. And, really? Yeah, and let me tell you something. I even like that version more because of Ripper singing on it. I, you know, I mean, I hate to say this. It does irk me to say this, but I like Ripper's version more than Hoffer when it comes to the acoustic. I highly recommend you look it up. It gives me chills the way he sings that song. Uh, my favorite version is Unleashed in the East, and, and yeah, I don't think uh, Ripper can touch Halford in his prime. I'm just saying, when it comes to that acoustic version, uh, I think Ripper nailed it. And uh, it's on the CD Live Meltdown. It's called Diamonds and Rust. <laughs> 
Another thing is that there's another studio version of this song that was recorded before they did Sin After Sin on that other label they were on, Gall Records. Uh, they recorded Diamonds and Rust for Gall Records. I don't know if they ever released it on, as a single or anything, but it is on the best of Judas Priest, which is uh, as something that Gall Records released that only contains songs from Rockarola and 
um, Sad Wings of Destiny. Wings. Uh, but it is in there. And uh, I have uh, the Rock and Roller CD where it's actually a bonus track too. Uh, and uh, it's, it's uh, I love it. I love what they did to the song. Yeah, they totally changed around. Priest was awesome at covers. Like a good, uh, another good example is Green Man Alishi. It's like, it, t- it sounds totally different, but they make it their own. So priests were really good at covers, except uh, Johnny Be Good. But, you know, you can't win them all. And exactly. uh, J- uh, Diamonds and Rust is a great, great song. It's my brother's favorite Judas Priest song. And uh, even though uh, he's not into metal anymore, it's commendable that he still loves Diamonds and Rust. And uh, it's a great, great song. I love it. Uh, Ian? Uh I'm I'm so pissed that Terrence picked you next because you took everything I wanted to fucking say, goddammit. Yes, uh, the Ripper era was when they first did the slow down unplugged. Uh, you, you fuck me there. And uh, yes, they did have the Gull version, which they lost when they signed with uh, CBS for this album. They signed over all rights to Rockarola and Sad Wings of Destiny and all the demos that they recorded as well. And um, Diamonds and Rust was one of those, which I, I do have the same Rockarola that has that as a bonus track. Uh, this was suggested by Roger Glover. It wasn't it wasn't planned by the band. Roger Glover brought this to them uh, as an attempt to have a commercial song on the radio. Uh, Starbreaker, great, great, great Judas Priest song. Another one that should be on every set list, and it's another. Judas Priest has like maybe fucking 50 of these fucking songs. They just have this character, you know, and, and Starbreaker is like, you know, uh, Nightcrawler, you know, or, you know, or the, you know, uh, Metal. Sentinel. Yeah, the Sentinel. Uh, Painkiller. There you go. Um, they, they have one on every album. It's very, uh, it's just very Judas Priest. There's always going to be that song. Uh, I've heard snippet, or no, actually, I heard the full song. On the new album, that's called Dragonaut, and you know it's just like it's another one. It's a Judas Priest character. It's total like fucking sci-fi mythology. It just it's it's fucking metal. It's so fucking metal. And that is the Star Bricka. I think this is uh, where it all starts, huh? It it could be. Um, There's no characters on the first two albums. I, 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 Wasn't I, it Tyrant? Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. okay, I, there I, you I, go. Tyrant will I, be the first. Starbreaker, Kicks, Recon Ass. Um, studio version, superb, but the live versions I love even more, especially the, the one on the bonus uh, track on the reissued live, Unleashed in the East, where Les Binks, I believe, did a little drum solo, which proved why he was a killer drummer. Why didn't he stay with him after 79? I will never know. But, um... The song just fucking rips, especially the live version on, on Unleashed in the East. And then, of course, you know, the guitar solo was incredible. Halford singing on it. Hard to put in words. That's why he is the voice of metal, along with the late Ronnie James Dio. I know people are going to say, oh, Glenn, he is the voice of rock. I go, well, you're, you're off the mark there. Halford is the voice of metal along with Dio, well, now the living voice in metal, I should say, is Alfred. But Starbreaker, kick-ass, especially the live version on Unleashed. What do you think, Ralph? Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, I was very happy. I, I actually got a copy when I was in Long Island. No, actually, I'm lying. I wasn't in Long Island. My friend lives up in New York, 
and uh, she found she's found a CD up there. It was called Priest in the East, which had Starbreaker, uh, Delivering the Goods, Hellbent for Leather, and I think there's another one. Rock Forever. Rock Forever. Four bonus tracks, and uh, which was great. I actually have that. Before, so I never bought the remaster. Now, I actually have on vinyl uh, them doing uh, Beyond the Realms of Death that was never added to the remaster of anything. But it was actually from uh, Priest in the East, uh, uh, Unleashed in the East. I have that version on vinyl. And I could be wrong, but I think there's also another song on that vinyl. That's Evil from- Fantasies. All right, there you go. Evil Fantasy, two songs that didn't make the CDs that I actually have on vinyl. Um, I love Starbreaker. Um, again, yeah, it's uh, carrying the tradition of uh, of the characters that they invent. Uh, Tyrant, uh, Terrence, you are right. Tyrant was the first captor of humanity, which is, God, I love that damn song. That's a, If there's any song I would like Priest to bring back, will be Tyrant, because that's the one song i never seen him play live. I saw them play Starbreaker live the very last time I saw him on the Epitaph Tour, where they played a song from every album. They actually played Starbreaker. It was the first time i ever seen him play it. Uh, yeah, it's always been one of my favorites off this album. Great, great song.
Then we go to Last Rose of Summer. And uh, this one is very different, but also what it's a good example why I loved Judas Priest 70s more. Not that I hated the 80s, but the 70s stuff I love more because, you know, it was more, had more textures, more color. And uh, I know Last Rose of Summer was very influenced by Roger Glover. Uh, beautiful song. Um, I just love the hell out of this song. It's, uh, I was having a talk earlier with Ian, and Ian found on, uh, not Ian here, I'm talking about Ian, uh, Ian Hill from Judas Priest. I was talking to him earlier, you know, talking to him about uh, Dave Holland molesting our Ian, and, uh, it came, <laughs> and, and uh, it came up that he said that they never played Last Rose of Summer live, but actually I have a bootleg of them doing it live, so Ian Hill don't know shit. And, uh, but it's a great song, so... Uh, Terrence, let's see what... No, yeah, Terrence, go ahead. What do you think? Last Rose of Summer. Not a bad song. It's a ch different change from what your typical priest song sounds like. Of, you know, it was a nice, you know, call it a power ballad, call it what you must. I was listening to the album last night again and for the first time in a few months. And to me, it's just a beautiful, beautiful song. And Rob Halford singing for a change rather than the trademark shrieks that he's known for. And um, delivered a brilliant lead vocal. The music, excellent. And I think, and I thought I heard some synthesizer buried in the mix at the end of the song, but it could be me. And then, again, Simon Phillips, the star of the show, is drumming. And um, what else can I say about Last Rose of Summer? But an excellent ballad. 
Ian, what do you think? Um, Last Rose of Summer is actually probably one of my favorite tracks on the album, even though it's bittersweet because Last Rose of Summer is actually about my asshole uh, before I went and took drum lessons from Dave Holland. Because uh, uh, we started, you know, end of August. Man, what were you, but, uh, two years old back then? Uh, yeah, I know. And, and that's why he got more time. That's, because that's I was wild. So, so, so Dave Holland anally raped you, and he wasn't even in Judas Priest yet, but somehow Judas Priest knew this and wrote a song about Dave Holland anally raping you? I, you can't make this shit up. I you mean, know, you got you know. to hand it to Judas Priest. They're holding up the name Priest well. Exactly. Dominus Cobiscus, whatever. Uh, yeah, it hurt, but uh, it's a great song. Uh, uh, I, I, I love it. It's uh, I, I'm kind of t- there's some priest ballads that I really love, and there's some I'm like, eh, this is one I totally love. Uh, I, I would play this for anybody, like whether they're a fan of Jesus Priest or not, and say, hey, check this shit out because it's just. It's so good, it stands on its own. It doesn't matter who it's by. I would play it for anybody who loves music and say, this is a great fucking song. Uh, same way I feel about uh, Air Dance off of Never Say Die by Sabbath. You know, it's oh, just like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, it's just like, open your fucking mind. Don't give a fuck who the band is. Listen to this song and tell me if you enjoy it. I think anybody can enjoy this song. Uh, you know, unless it's me, because I have memories of being raped but uh you know i i still find the beauty in it uh it's a great song and uh you know let us pray is up next let us pray call for the priest let us pray was the opening instrumental thing which in fact was the band's the entrance music the band wound up using i believe on the sin after sin tour on a bootleg that i heard on youtube and um sort of sets the tone for the next piece, which is another great rocker called Call for the Priest, which my first time I heard it was on the Metallurgy box set in 2004, and I was like, wow, these guys go from a sort of an atmospheric da-da-da-da-da-da-da right into a heavy rocker out of Call for the Priest, and excellent two songs in one sort of uh, medley, but Priest pulls it off brilliantly. Except if the albums are called Turbo and Ram It Down, then I'll run to the bathroom. Uh, well, are uh, you done? You done with that, Terrence? Um, and one more thing I have to say about Let Us Pray Call for the Priest is uh, Rob Halford is the star of the show on that song with his vocals, especially the multi-track beginning part, which I believe he was influenced by Queen. And, yeah, basically I'm now done with uh, that medley. And to me, it's a killer one-two punch. What do you think, Ralph? Okay, I know uh, we everybody's listening to us on audio, but we are on video, and I want to show something to you, Terrence. Um, if you can see this on the album, I don't know if you can see it well. The album version has Call for the Priest and Raw Deal. You see that? Oh, or, wow. Or yes. Let, Let It Pray was just alone, then it's Call for the Priest and Raw Deal, wow. which, which I think makes more sense because the Call for the Peace and Raw Deal do, does sound like two songs together you know yeah, I mean? on this remat yeah it's on this remaster that has uh let us pray call for the priests on this remastered cd He's yeah it's odd it, it, it is odd but i think this is really the down version is really uh call for the priest and raw deal because it does sound like two separate songs where let us pray does have that intro kind of like the hellion electric eye but uh call for the priest and raw deal just sound like two separate songs into one 
So I'm going to go with the original version there. Um, Good idea. I agree with you, Terrence, but I think two people own that song, um, both Rob Halford and Simon Phillips. Um, I was corrected on YouTube, I mean on Facebook, because I put up uh, that song months ago saying, man, is, has, there any been, has there ever been a song with double bass, drums, you know, before this? And John Gallagher actually from Raven corrected me, and I can't remember what song he said, but I was like, oh, shit, you're right. That song does have double bass. But uh, but still, it's one of the first ones. And with the dueling guitar solos, it's so fucking metal, this song. I love Let Us Pray. It's probably, you know, other than other than Sinner and Descendant, Descendant Aggressor, I think it's a three-way tie. Let Us Pray, uh, Sinner, and Descendant Aggressor are my favorite tracks on this album. Uh, great, great song. Let Us Pray fucking rules. What do you think, Ian? Um... This is one. This was a grower. Uh, when I first had it, I had it on cassette. So this was turned over to the other side. And the beginning part, "Let Us Pray," just kind of turned me off. And I think that's why I put off listening to the second side of this. And I didn't discover it till years later. Uh, I, I kind of agree with Terrence. It's kind of queen-like, and maybe that's what turned me off. But man, when it kicks into "Call for the Priest." It's just fucking, what a rip-roaring fucking track. I actually listened to this album five times in a row this morning, getting ready for this review, and it was like hearing the album all over again, hearing the second side, and it, it just an incredible track. Here's another one. Bring this back in the fucking set list, you know, for the, for, for the true fans, because oh yeah, this would be incredible live. Um, it just... Great drumming, great singing. Uh, you know, I, I I wish I would have grasped it, you know, when I was like in fucking eighth grade, but I didn't. But I love it now. And uh, God, I enjoyed the piss out of this shit five times today. The next song, Raw Deal, which I'm just going to call it Raw Deal. Uh, I think it is the very first gay innuendo Judas Priest song. Fire Island. Yes. He mentions <laughs> fire. He walks into a leather bar. And Fire Island, uh, I love, love, love this song. There's another one. Very, very deep, deep track. Yeah, I love Raw Deal. It's another one like I kind of rediscovered today. And uh, same thing with you. I was listening to the lyrics. I was like, whoa, okay, all right. You know, before then I thought the gayest thing was Jawbreaker. (laughs) Which I didn't get for years until I read an interview with uh, Rob Hofford. He's like, He's like, yeah, I can't believe people didn't know I was gay. Because you ever listen to Jawbreaker? Jawbreaker's about sucking a big dick. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I, I, listen, I actually listened to Jawbreaker today, and I was like, yep, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, which I have no problem with. God, uh, I love that song, man. I must be gay, because I love Jawbreaker. <laughs> I, 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 I love it, too. But um, Me also. But yeah, hearing the lyrics, you know, talking about Fire Island and the leather bar. But I don't give a fuck. I don't. I don't give a fuck what anybody does. You know, as long as you don't hurt me, God bless. Have fun. Uh, And Raw Deal is just a goddamn good fucking track that I'm kicking myself in the ass for not getting into years ago. Because I kept playing it over. I was like, how in the fuck did I miss this second side of this fucking classic album? Because Raw Deal was just incredible. Uh, Another one. Fuck, I wish they would play this whole album live. I, you know, I, I think would 
would benefit the fucking set list. You know, uh, the, the whole the whole gay thing, I just got to say, I really don't understand the concept of hating gay people because it just leaves more girls for us. I mean, we should build statues to gay men. Like, thank you, gay man. I mean, can you imagine the option of pussy you could get backstage at a Jews pre-show? You get more pussy backstage at Jews pre than, let's say, uh, I don't know, fucking Motley Crue or whatever, where they're all pussy hungry. You know, um, you go backstage and, you know, a lot of those girls want to bang Rob Halford and then, like, some of those girls want to jump his bounds, if you know where that's from. You know that's heavy, from? heavy metal parking lot. Yeah, it was Zebra Boy, <laughs> the ultimate poser. Um, so um, we should discuss heavy metal parking lot in a future episode. Raw Deal is a kick-ass tune. You two uh, nailed the hammer around the head song. I need to repeat myself and sound like a broken record here. Kick-ass song, and I don't care if Rob Halford had sex with farm animals. It's a fucking killer song. And I'm a pussy magnet myself. More women for me, the merrier. Yeah. Hell yeah. Vagina. <laughs> Custard pie. Here comes the tears. Another ballady song on the album. Not as good as Last Rose of Summer, but and probably my least favorite off the album. But I do like Here Comes the Tears, uh, mainly because of Rob Halford. I just love the man's voice. He's just so awesome that, man, too bad I ain't gay, man, because I, I, me and Rob could have got some really good fucking uh, salami sword fighting action going on, man. Because uh, I, I love Rob Halford to death, man. It's just a shame I ain't gay. And uh, his voice transcends everything to me. He's one of my favorite singers. Probably my second favorite singer of all time. Um, and uh, he, he's just pure class, man. Something about Rob Halford when I see interviews of it. He's just so fucking cool. And I did get to meet him once when he was in fight. And it's a damn shame I didn't get I got my ticket, my ticket signed. But, you know, I had no idea I was going to meet Rob Halford. And he, there he is, standing outside of his tour bus, signing autographs for people. And I go up to him and I said, Rob, I just want to let you know that Unleashed in the East is the greatest metal album ever released, which I do believe. And he said, thank you, I appreciate it. He fucking talked to me, man. Uh, that's just my little story on meeting Rob Halford. Here Comes the Tears uh, is also personal to me because I've never seen them play this whole song live and now I'm now I'm thinking of uh, uh Judas Priest never seeing them play Let Us Pray or Descent Aggressor. Here comes the tears. Okay, that sucked. Alright Ian, what do you think? Um I hate this because I hate fucking agreeing with you, Ralph, but it is my least favorite song on the album. Um and I think it's kinda of like ah you know, I don't know, the the vocals on it. You know, the screaming part I really don't get into. Uh you know, it kind of reminds me of when I met Rob Halford. Uh, you know, I, I was real excited. I was like, hey, Rob, you know, real big fan. He's like, uh, yeah, I'm not into Dave Holland's sloppy seconds. So he <laughs> he, he didn't give me a lot of time. Oh, um, man. I concur with you guys on Here Comes the Tears. Not a bad song, but not one of my favorite Prince songs either. But an excellent ballad. And I, too, met Rob Halford the night after I saw them. I talked to him on Rockline, as well as K.K. Downing and Glenn Tipton. Asked them what Priest album they enjoyed recording the most, and it turned out to be Defenders of the Faith. Ah, which was down here, right? And the Bahamas. In Down there, and also in Ibiza, Spain, okay. as well. So they flew from California, where they just played the Us Festival, to... Um, Spain to begin recording in the mixing console. Their recording console was outside, so they had to 
wheel, this recording console in the hot sun into the into the studio where they were recording just one day after pointing to 500,000 at the US Festival. It's a funny story. Robbie Alford's like, we were out in the hot sun the day after playing the US Festival trying to get another album going, but we had a lot of fun recording it. Nice. It was awesome. A little side note, uh, where I practice with my band is right next to Criteria Studios where Screamer for Vengeance was recorded, Defenders of the Faith, and... Um, uh, Heaven and Hell, Black Sabbath recorded there. Uh, I know there's a... And Technical a, Ecstasy. Technical Ecstasy as well, yes. Uh, um, I mean, I know a lot of other albums were recorded there. I'm having a brain fart now, but uh, yeah. Criteria. Hotel California. Hotel, was that? Oh, I didn't know that one. Yep. Um, well, the Eagles had to stop recording because of Black Sabbath were too loud. <laughs> Good. And I will introduce the swan song to this album, Dissident Aggressor. Epic fucking closer, speed metal prototype to the core, kick-ass song. Doesn't sound out that way. It sounds like a, the beginning sounds a whole bit like a Turn to Stone by ELO, although that wasn't recorded until later in the year. Then all of a sudden, these multi-tracked Rob Halford shrieks barrages into this prototype speed metal song, which just kicks fucking ass. And to me, a kick-ass way to close a kick-ass album. Ralph, take it away. Oh, the highlight for me in this song... I'll never forget first time hearing this song. I'm like, wow, this is really kicking ass, you know, the drums and everything. But what really blows my mind about the song is that solo. And you hear that solo, and it just screams K.K. Downing. Uh, incredible, incredible song. I like the way Forbidden does it more than Slayer. I know, I know a lot of people are going to be pissed at me, but I really didn't like Slayer's version to the song. I thought uh, Forbidden did a much better version. Uh, which I highly recommend, Tribute to the Metal Gods. There's actually two CDs. you you got to buy both. You guys got to hear the version of Fate's Warning doing Saints in Hell. Uh, there's just so much good stuff on, on those. The, to me, it's the best tribute album ever made. Devin Townsend doing Sinner is fucking mind-blowing. Anyway, so um, uh, Descendant Aggressor, again, like I said earlier, it's tied for like my favorite song on the album. Never got to see them play this live, and it really pissed me off because they were playing it early in the Nostradamus tour, and it was released on uh, the live album, which, believe it or not, they won a Grammy for this song, a Descendant Aggressor on the live, whatever that live was. was it called? Uh, live Touch, Touch of Evil. Well, yeah, Live Touch of Evil. Live Touch of Evil. They won a Grammy for Descendant Aggressor, uh, which, you know, I mean, it doesn't really count because the Grammys are clueless. Actually, giving Judas Priest a Grammy over a song that's like 30 years old on a live album. You should have gave him a Grammy for, for fucking British Steel or whatever. You should have gave him a Grammy for Sin After Sin. Fuck. Instead of Captain and Tennille. I'm sure they won it that year. Anyway, so um, Descendant Aggressor, great way to end the album. Total metal. Back then, I mean, like I said, man, uh, Black Sabbath invented it, and this Descendant Aggressor is a nice example of how Priest perfected it. All right, Ian, close it off. Uh, I love this fucking song. I got to disagree with you. I love Slayer's version of this. Love it, but I'm, really? a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge South of Heaven fan. Uh, but, I mean, Priest, I mean, that that is the definitive version. It's awesome. And I think Priest should have won a Grammy for fucking point of entry. 
But that's another fucking review. I, I love, love that fucking album. I love Point Entry. Me God three. damn it. God damn Well, that's going to be a boring fucking review. Never mind. We all love it. Um, <laughs> but uh, Distant Aggressor. Wow. What, what a prototype to what metal would become uh, in, in so many different areas. I mean, lyrically, musically, delivery-wise. I mean, it's just fucking fantastic and heavy as fuck. Fuck, I mean, that is a heavy fucking song. If you don't feel the fucking metal when you listen to that, then uh, then obviously you have no feeling left because Dave Holland took it all during a drum lesson. Uh, <laughs> but enough about my drum lesson with Dave Holland, uh, the worst Judas Priest drummer ever. But, um, you know, what can I say? Great way to end a great album. Uh, enjoyed the fuck out of it today. It was like discovering an old friend, and then again remembering when you got molested when you were two. Um, <laughs> two, huh? Damn. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, right? You, you think my drumming sucks? You should have heard his pickup lines. Um, <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> and not to make fun of you know children being molested. Kind of making fun of children. No, being I mean molested. it's okay for um, you to do it since you were molested. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like when white people call each other honky. It's okay. Judas Priest in the 70s for me did no wrong. I know a lot of people don't, uh, you know, don't really point at Rock and Roll that much, but I think that's a great, great album. I think Judas Priest. Love Rock and Roll. I do too. Love it. I never heard it. Oh my God, you got to listen to it, Terrence. I will say this about Rock and Roll, though. It was not really. Judas Priest yet. They were finding their way because they just got Al Atkins out of the band and they just got Halford. So Halford didn't really uh, put that much into rock and roll. I mean, I know he had some credits on it and stuff, but he was too new in the band for him to get have a foothold. But also, you know, Al Atkins did write also uh, Victim of Changes. Which, by the way, I did see Al Atkins live. In uh, Orlando, no, Tampa, I'm sorry, at the Sun and Steel Fest 2004 or five or something. It was like some kind of super band. It was Al Atkins, Dennis Stratton from the first Maiden album, and a bunch of other guys I didn't know, and it was fucking horrendous. I hate to say that. You know, <laughs> God, I got to see this guy live with Dennis Stratton, and they did Victim of Changes, and it was pretty sad uh, the way he sang it. But anyway, uh, Sin after sin. I mean, Sad Wings is when, uh, to me, that's the real first Judas Priest album, even though Rock and Roll is a damn fine album. Really good. I mean, probably my second favorite ballad they ever did was Run of the Mill. Uh, my favorite is Before the Dawn. Uh, to recap, Priest, yeah, 70s Priest, Rock and Roll, Sad Wings, Sin After Sin, Stained Class, my favorite. Uh, Hellbent for Leather was already showing a little bit of signs of the 80s which is still a damn fine album. And the 80s was damn fine, too, because my favorite Judas Priest album of the 80s is not Scream for Vengeance. Like everybody else, Terrence, not only you, Ian, and everybody I know uh, points that Scream for Vengeance as their best uh, 80s album. Now, mine's British Steel. Uh, Maybe because it was the first studio album I ever heard from them. I'm very uh, attached to that one. I love that one. Point of Entry, another one that I really love, though it's very commercial, very different that if it was released like three years later, I probably wouldn't have liked it. Um, Screaming for Vengeance, of course, it's an epic uh, metallic album. And uh, I just love, and to, to this day, 
I can never get sick of Electric Eye. I know a lot of people are sick of that one. To me, no. I am sick of You Got Another Thing Coming. That one I can do without. Um, Defenders, I even like more than Screaming. I think that's like so balls out metal. And it was one of those albums that the first time I put on, I got right away. And yeah, Jawbreaker was like, oh my God, the way it ended gave me chills, man, and eat me alive and Sentinel, Free Will Burning. What a great, great, great album that is. Um, Turbo Ram It Down, suck. I never could get into it. I did like the, what's funny about both those albums, I like the first song on side two on both of them. I love Out in the Cold, and I love Blood Red Skies. Those two songs, to me, are the standout tracks on those albums, so it's not a total loss. Painkiller, I fucking love. Uh, they they kind of, you know, they were a, a little, they were following a little bit of the trends first time ever. Uh, Judas Priest, they try to get uh, incorporate some thrashy speed metal stuff, but I still loved it. It was them saying, hey, you thought we were, you thought we lost our fire with the last two albums? Check this shit out. And right there, it kind of ended for me. Jugulator was next, and I couldn't get into that album. Uh, I did like uh, Cathedral Spires, and uh, there was another song on there I liked. Somewhat. Uh, Demolition was just an abortion, which I didn't mind the bonus track, which was called What's My Name, which is the only song that Ripper Owens had anything to do with, uh, writing-wise, in Judas Priest. Uh, I love that. Angel Retribution, to me, was like, dude, I think it's amazing, amazing album. They kind of took elements of the whole history of Judas Priest from, I hear 70s Priest in there, I hear 80s. And I even hear some painkiller stuff. So that to me is a great mishmash. Now, Nostradamus, the one everybody fucking hates. And I admit, it took me a while to get into it. Now I love it, but I can't say it's even in my top 10. But man, I like putting it on my iPod and just walking to the whole thing for an hour and a half. Just walking and just soaking it in. It's a great walking album for me. It's weird. It's a weird album with a lot of too much keyboards and too many little intro things, but I loved it. And I am very much looking forward to um, Redeemer of Souls, which is not out yet. It's coming out in a week or two, so I'm very much looking forward to that one. And I, I just have a feeling I will not be disappointed. So that's uh, that's how I feel about Judas Priest. Well, you know, let's recap your love for all of Judas Priest, guys. Okay. Judas Priest 70s era albums. I rank them Stained Class, Sin After Sin, Sad Wings, Hellbent, the studio albums go. Rock and Roll I'd Never Heard, That Will Change. Unleashed in the East is my favorite live album. 80s Priest, Screaming for Vengeance, uh, Defenders of the Faith, British Steel, Point of Entry, then Turbo and Ram It Downer in the basement. 90s Painkiller, classic. Um, uh, the Ripper albums I skip because I'm not a fan of either of those. Um, Angel of Retribution, Masterpiece, Nostradamus. Didn't get it on first listen either, but if I want to listen to the album in the dark with my headphones on, perfect album to do so. Then again, I'm a sucker for concept albums. Hint, The Wall. Hint, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Hint, uh, Thick as a Brick. Uh, Ian, and I'm looking forward to Redeemer of Souls as well. What do you think? Uh, I love Judas Priest, one of the best metal bands of all fucking time. Love rock and roll, even though it's different. I, I love it for what it is. Um, 
love Sad Wings of Destiny, love Sin After Sin, love Stained Class, love uh, you know, Killing Machine, or uh, you know, Hellbent for Leather, whatever you want to call it. Unleashing the Studio is fucking awesome. Um, British Steel. I, I'm not as huge a British Steel fan as most people, but I think it's due to Overkill because I mean, I mean, shit like Grinder and fucking uh, the Rage and shit like that. I love. I'm just so sick of fucking loving After Midnight and Breaking the Law. Love Screaming for Vengeance. Uh, love Defenders of the Faith. Uh, Turbo is. Point. Oh no! Go ahead. You forgot Point of Entry. Oh, point! Of, oh shit! I did forget point. I fucking love point entry. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. I love point entry. It's uh, it 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 is a more commercial album, but you know what? Judas Priest can write some catchy fucking songs, and there is a lot of good catchy fucking songs on point entry. And it it's point of entry would probably be not in my top five, but definitely in my top ten of Judas Priest. Uh, Turbo. Hasn't aged well, but the stuff I I love I still I, I still love Turbo Lover. Uh, Out in the cold is definitely my favorite. Unfortunately, I got to agree with Ralph there. Uh, I know, right? Uh, Ram it down is another one. Yeah, it's 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 killed by fucking Johnny Be Good. But uh, again, I hate to fucking go with Ralph. Blood Red Skies is fucking awesome. I also love I'm a Rocker. I think is a great fucking uh, deep track. From that album. Uh, Painkiller is fucking great. Horrible fucking lyrics, but still a great fucking album. I'm also a fan of the Ripper era. I do like Jugulator, and De- I and I love Demolition. Wow. I, actually think, I think Demolition sounded more like Judas Priest than Jugulator did. Uh, but they both suffer from horrible lyrics written by Glenn Tipton. Uh, absolutely love Angel of Retribution. Except for Loch Ness. Loch Ness is fucking unforgivable. That is like Spinal Tap level dreck. Um, but the rest of it, I I, I think is... Uh, I, I totally agree with, with Ralph where they, they draw from all the different eras and just made a classic priest album. And then they tacked on Loch Ness and fucked it all up. Um, fucking Nostradamus... Um, I, I agree with Ralph. It's a great walking album. I put it on when I want to walk to the record store and buy a good Judas Priest album. <laughs> um, I, I don't, it, it's one of those, like, I, I hope some because I love Judas Priest so much, I hope one day I see the, the goodness in it. But uh, I have yet to do so. And I and what nobody brought up is it had a lot to do with why KK left, because KK took that very personal that a lot of people didn't like Nostradamus and he lost faith in making new music. And he said that it had to contribute with why he left priest besides business matters. But there, he was very discouraged with, uh, the lack of response to Nostradamus. What I've heard of, uh, Redeemer of souls. I've heard some good shit. I've heard some bad shit. Dragonaut. I really enjoyed Redeemer of souls kind of left me. And, eh. um, I think they should have got another producer. I was really, I was really excited when uh, Tom Allman came back and and produced the live album uh, "Touch of Evil" live, and I was hoping he would produce the new studio album. Yeah, I, I'd also like to throw in that I don't want to pass judgment on Redeemer at all because uh, 
sometimes, you know, hearing a song off an album, you know, it to me personally, it throws me off. I have to hear the whole album to really like, you know, judge an album. I don't want to judge it from a song here and there. So I'm just going to leave a reserve my judgment for it till after I listen to it a hundred million times because I like to, for it to soak in because if we would have done a review of Fair Warning when it first came out, I would have been here talking about how much it sucked. And, and now it's like my favorite Van Halen album. So that's why I'm very hesitant to uh, talk shit about um, uh, Redeemer of Souls as of yet. I've heard the songs, but again, I don't even want to talk about what I think of those songs till I hear the album in full. Another thing I want to bring up that you probably guys probably know or probably don't know and probably people out there don't know, is that Turbo was supposed to be a double album, where Ram It Down was actually this too, and Turbo was supposed to be called Twin Turbo. All right, uh, once again, I'd like to give thanks to our new sponsor, Ping Pong, at uh, Happy Endings Massage Parlor. <laughs> Happy Endings Massage Parlor, not only do we beat the competition, but we'll beat you for 10 extra dollars. <laughs> Happy Endings Massage Parlors, where every man, no matter his shape or size, feels like a king because small prepubescent Asian women have small hands. And I'd like to give a shout-out to my two buddies, The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. What do you two say? The Rock says, if you don't like Judas Priest, I'll take your... I will take this hand, turn this son of a bitch sideways, and stick it straight up your candy ass. And Stone Cold Steve Austin says, Judas Priest fucking rocks, and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Thank you, Stone Cold and Rock. Man, that's awesome, man. We have two celebrities and, and a sponsor of Happy Endings. I got to go check out that Happy Ending Massage Parlor. Yeah, Happy Endings, located in beautiful downtown New Orleans. Awesome. I got to go well, check. If, if you got a stiff back, come over there and they'll rub one out. <laughs> Awesome. And my closing statement is uh, Judas Priest rules. They are the metal gods. Um, and uh, we will probably have an episode in the future of uh, who's better, Judas Priest or Iron Maiden, which a lot of people bring up. But to me, it's not even close. Judas, All right. Judas Priest is way better. Another thing I don't want to cut you off, Ralph, but I'd like to say thank you to all the listeners out there. Thank you for all the comments. And there are multiple ways that you can enjoy the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. You can go on podbeam.com. You can also go on the Rock and Metal Podcast page on YouTube. And coming soon to iTunes. So no matter how you enjoy it, just enjoy it. Hell yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. So look out for us on, uh, on the interwebs. And yeah, man, leave a like. Join us on the Podbeam page. Uh, it's very simple. Just, you know, just join up and, and press like and and follow us, man. I mean, we do need uh, support to keep this going, To you know, because without you guys, we could never get a sponsor like Happy Endings Massage Parlor. So uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And my closing things before I say goodbye is all hail Judas Priest, all hail Rob Halford, and all hail his lifestyle. Because of him, there's more chicks for us. All hail Absolutely. the gay man. Fuck yes, yeah. Alfred. And if I knew what Dave Holland meant by a rim shot, I never would have signed up. <laughs> okay, we'll leave you at that. Later, guys. Sayonara.